This morning's scripture reading is found in Philippians, continuing our series in the letter to Philippi, verses 4 through 9. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now to slow and pause. We take this time to pray for our families, to pray for our communities, our country, our world. Father, I I pray for the many who put themselves in harm's way during this season. For the many who keep the systems running. Lord, we also pray for the many who lack shelter right now, who lack food right now, who lack resources right now. May you provide in such moments, showing the world that you are in control. Father, I pray that you would provide through your bride, the church, that we may reflect your great love to the community around us. Father, I pray that we as your followers would step up, would lean in, would bring peace, would fill need. As followers of you, Christ, I pray we would reflect to our neighbors in big and little ways that show a love that we have received from you and want to pass on. May your church, as it's scattered physically right now, sense the unity we have with you, Father, and with each other. May our imaginations be captivated by the truth that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses this morning, not simply in this room here, but in each room that is watching now. And as we turn to your word now, may you expose the areas of our lives that are in rebellion to you. May you correct the mistakes that we knowingly and unknowingly make, and may you train us to live your way in line with God's truth. In the saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last time I was with you, I said I had a toilet paper shortage. We're good now. Thank you to everybody that provided for us. Um, now, I, I need a haircut. I don't, I don't know anybody else. Like, Floby, anybody got a Floby? That, so this is a perfect example of you tell a joke, and I get a little chuckle because the worship team's here and Brent's here. Um, but I think this is, this is an interesting time that we live in, right? But I think what's amazing is we do see God's timing so perfect. We commented on this a couple months ago, but here we are in the midst 
of crisis. Right as we're covering these chapter, the, these verses in chapter four. And this passage today is no different. We're going to be looking at just two verses, verses eight and nine. In a time when so much can fill our minds, in a time when so much can fill our hearts, our imaginations stir fears, stir anxieties, foster division and enmity, we find God's word calling us to fix our minds, our hearts, our wills on something different, something so much more beautiful. Now, I will comment briefly. Um, I'm the one that tends to wander the stage. And so I feel like you, you, the joke is if you want to get an Italian to be quiet, I'm Italian, so this is an okay joke. You tell them to sit on their hands. I feel like I'm sitting on my hands right now like because I just, I just want to pace, but I can't pace. Last joke, I swear. Yeah, maybe not. So as we dig into our passage today, I want to see that Paul is yet again attempting to call our attention and our imagination to something, to someone that transforms us and transforms the world around us. So I recently read a story about a young man who, on a normal morning in 2007, wandered into a subway station in Washington, D.C. during rush hour. This young, casually dressed man took his place against a wall and he pulled out a violin laid his case out through some spare change to kind of seed the, the case, seed the money, and he began to play for about 45 minutes. Over that time, about a 1,000 people hurried past, frantic, thundering past, too busy to stop and notice, too busy to stop and hear the music. Of those who threw money in, it probably was more out of guilt than appreciation. So when he was done, he gathered up his case, a little over $50, put his violin away, no applause, no ovation, no one noticing. What people didn't see was that this was Joshua Bell, one of the best violinists in the world. That day he played some of the most complex music ever written on one of the most valuable violins ever. In fact, a few days earlier, he played to a sold-out crowd at the Boston Symphony Hall, people paying upward of $100 a ticket. This moment in time was arranged by the Washington Post to see if in a mundane setting, in an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend it. The question they asked was, do we perceive beauty in unexpected places? I think the question could also be, do we perceive good in unexpected places? I think this is a timely question. We find ourselves, we find our lives in unexpected places and times right now. But I do think we see beauty and good around us. Paul's pointing to the same thing here as he begins his summary statement in verse 8. In verse 8, you have this list, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. These verses, verse 8 and verse 9, are connected to the previous verses. They're a summary statement of what he's been talking about, an antidote to anxiety. The way that we find peace 
from anxiety is connected to what we ponder, what we fill our mind, what captivates our imagination, what tune we choose to hum. Of course, by the end of verse 9, we're going to see that it's less of what we ponder and more about who or whom, who, whom. Thankfully, nobody's here to correct my grammar. Ah, that was a bad one. (laughs) The key, though, is who we ponder. And as we get into this, I want to talk about ponder and practice. Those are my points today, ponder and practice. I started with the Joshua Bell story and the question because good and beauty in unexpected places is what kind of Paul is, is doing here in this list of virtues, in this list of character traits. These words that Paul uses actually for true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, they're actually very rare in his letters and in the New Testament. In fact, those Greek terms are more present in Jewish wisdom literature and Greek thinkers like Plato and Aristotle. See, this list is actually not distinctly Christian. It's virtues that could have been embraced by many people in ancient times and even today. This is emphasized by his repeated use of the phrase, whatever is, whatever is. To look around and to ponder the things in which these qualities are exemplified. See, even if the world is hostile to Christians and others, it is still part of God's world. And it still contains much good that can be affirmed. We can and we should affirm these virtues, these goodnesses, this this beauty, this truth. Because it does remain in a fallen creation. Life still has significance and worth. I mean, just look at the examples. Just not now, but later. Google the examples of people singing in the streets. Recently this week, I saw an example of in Atlanta, apartments were cheering at the shift change at the hospital that they lived near. Applause breaking out across the city for healthcare workers. All across the globe, the world is affirming right now a little bit of what is honorable. And actually, in this moment, calling out what is dishonorable, the hoarders of toilet paper, the hoarders of disinfectant. The call to keep a physical distance is motivated by a care of others, living toward the well-being of others. I think we've been given a gift here, a hard reset of sorts to realign our minds and our hearts, to see and to dwell on and to applaud when we see these traits from unbelieving expressions. We get the chance to discover and learn from the true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the praiseworthy, wherever it occurs. And it actually gives us points of conversation. Why? Why is everybody upset with that guy that bought all of that disinfectant? Why in cities are people cheering healthcare workers right now? Where does that motivation come from? 
See, Paul is laying the groundwork here for the classical Christian view that the goodness of creation, yes, is fundamentally and ubiquitously marred by sin, but it is not negated by sin. James Davison Hunter, in an excellent book called To Change the World, puts it this way, the creation may be fractured, incomplete, and corrupted, but his goodness remains in it. The gifts of God's grace are spread abundantly among the just and unjust in ways that support and enhance the lives of all. Paul is calling the Philippians to seek out such things, to celebrate such things, to think on such things, to fix our thoughts and our imaginations on such things. Themes that are intrinsically virtuous because at their core, they're the character of God. At the core, they flow from Him. We also fix our eyes on these themes because they are present in the visible world around us. And they are, in fact, attracting people. Many people care about integrity, purity, and justice. This is another gift of God's grace because it allows us to then draw on the visible love of virtue to point to the why they are intrinsically lovable. Now, I'm not going to go into depth right now of each word. In the weekly email, I'll include a brief summary of the word and its, its meaning. I've just locked myself into that. I said that now, and I kind of have to do that, right? What I want to draw out, though, are a few thoughts, a few questions to ponder. First, what are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your heart with? What are you filling your soul with? It's that old adage, garbage in, garbage out. It's a play it here. You know, I tried to find, I remember as a kid singing this song about this, about garbage in, garbage out. I couldn't, I tried to find it because I wanted to play it and put it in your head like have patience, which you'll be humming for the rest of the day, thankfully, to, you're welcome. I couldn't find it. But the idea here is the same. What we fill our minds with, what we fill our hearts with, flows out. Feed your heart, feed your imagination, feed your mind with that which is ugly, with that which is dishonorable, with that which is impure, with that which is fake. And it will warp you and the relationships around you. Proverbs 4, 23 we're called to guard our hearts for everything we do flows from it. Jesus calls out the Pharisees by saying in Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The songs that you let fill your heart will train your heart, will train your loves, and will affect your relationships. What are you filling your mind with? And how will you instead fill it with all the things God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and to celebrate? This is where we need to prayerfully seek others and seek God. Because sometimes we need someone to call out and say, is that the best thing to be filling your mind with? We need others to help us address the addictions of the things that are completely counter to the virtues Paul lists here. 
One example, and I'm not going to explicitly mention it because I know young children are watching right now. In fact, my five-year-old is. Hi, Rhett. Hi, Knox. I told him this morning I was going to say hi to them. They were really excited about that. But we have talked about with them about good pictures and bad pictures. Feed your mind with this and it will affect you and your relationships. And interestingly enough, I, I feel like it goes back to what I said about seeing the good, the beauty, and the just coming from the unbelieving world around us because there is clearly movement in our culture and in neuroscience speaking to this very issue about how damaging it is to us and our relationships. So what are you filling your mind with? What are you investing your time in? What are you letting captivate your imagination? Second question. Maybe we possibly know or unknowingly or willfully ignore, but do we support systems? Do we support institutions, stories, and people who run counter to these virtues? The reverse would be true. Are there stories and institutions and systems and people that are worthy of our support because they exhibit whatever is praiseworthy. And I'm not saying that the answer is, well, yes, I only watch Christian movies and Christian shows and Christian music and support Christian businesses and Christian politicians. I think that's missing Paul's point. And I believe that this time we have now is to be one of pondering, to, to ponder who we are, what we're filling our time with, what we're partnering with. And ultimately, as we move into verse 9, to ponder what we practice and to practice what we ponder. This is Paul's call in verse 9. He calls the Philippians to practice, to live out what they have learned and received and heard and seen in Paul. See, Paul lays out what is worthy of our attention, what we are to fix our hearts on. And then calls us to action. You see, fixing and feasting must ignite the fires of will and action. In reality, this forced margin, this forced slowdown gives us the opportunity to ponder what we're focusing on. To ponder what we are practicing in our daily lives. The opportunity to set before our imaginations that which is praiseworthy. And practice living it out. That's a big part of Paul's point. Now put it into practice. We practice to grow. And God, through it, conforms our hearts, our minds, our desires to that of Jesus. Now this will look contextually different for each of you. In its boiled down explanation, I would say that this list, these verses, celebrate a loving of others well. And we reflect and we express our love for him by loving others. So I encourage you, thinking about who's in the room with you, who's not in the room with you. Who do I need to practice loving well with? As Brent said earlier, so much time together can cause us to resentment, to bitterness, 
tension, to dissension. And the call is to point our minds and hearts to unity in Christ and practice loving well. Now, what I didn't get into and want to end with is while we do and we can see such virtues in the world around us, and I do encourage us to celebrate such moments, to celebrate the beauty that we see in them, the reality is that such things, such good, such beauty, such virtues can only be undergirded, can only be defined, can only be rested on in the standard and the character of our Creator. And they are, again, possibly, oftenly reflected throughout creation. They are revealed to us through His Word and through the Son. See, these common virtues are, in fact, rooted in Christ's perfection. The cornerstone of what is true and good is Christ as revealed in the Word of God. What Paul is really calling us to do is to ponder and practice the beauties of Jesus. He's the apex of virtue. He's the bringer of peace, of shalom. Paul has Jesus in his view this entire time as he writes. Even when he takes and he lists virtues as found in culture. In fact, he's simply pointing back to the central theme in this entire letter in chapter 2, 5 through 11. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. He forms every area of our lives. He influences every aspect of our hearts and our relationships. And verses 8 and 9 fit into that larger framework. To be gentle as Jesus rather than vindictive to be prayerful rather than anxious, to appreciate the good within our culture rather than cloistered behind fortified walls. In these moments, we're told that the peace of God will guard us in verse 7, but even more, verse 9, the God of peace will be with us. God with us. That's the Emmanuel promise. It doesn't apply to just thousands of years ago. It is still in force today, even in different spaces right now. It is still in force through Holy Spirit. God of peace is with us, even now, scattered across the city, the country, and the globe. Ultimately, my call is this. What captivates your imagination? Is it the beauties of Jesus? What tune do you choose to hum? Is it the song of heaven? As my last example, there is a song, right, that we talk about, songs that catch our imaginations, that we just can't get out of our heads. How often do we stop and ponder the fact that there is a song playing, undergirding the world right now? filling it with intrinsic beauty, something in the midst of unexpected places. It's a song that truly is excellent, that truly is praiseworthy. It's a song that celebrates Christ. 
today choose to hum his song. Not the song of fear, not the song of anxiety, not the song of isolation. Hum the song that the great cloud of witnesses is humming. The saints and the angels are humming as we sing to the great I am. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in different places. And I pray, Lord, that you would captivate our imaginations. I pray, Lord, that we would fix our eyes on you. That we would celebrate what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. That we would see these not only as opportunities to celebrate, but opportunities to point people to you. Father, I pray for anyone, anywhere who is watching this, whether now live or in the future, for those that know you, that you would captivate their imagination today. Again, remembering our first love. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't, I pray that you would call them out now. Show them the beauty of you, Jesus. A God who would step off of his throne, step out of his comfort zone. And lean into a world that so desperately needs a Savior. Lord, we also take this time to pray for our tithes and our offerings. Lord, that you would use them to further your name and your kingdom. Lord, as we've already seen, not only Stonebridge, but the churches of Charlotte unite in a powerful way to be present to those in need, to provide for those in need. I pray that we would see as we give to your local church, you use it in mighty ways. In your name we pray, amen.